So before I tell you uh, who I am, can I first tell you who I am not? So when I, uh, I'm a professor at a school of spiritual direction up in Ohio, and um, one of my, after I taught, uh, one of my students came up to me and said, oh my goodness, I swear that Pam from the office, Jenna Fisher, has come to teach us Centering Prayer. So I wonder if you can go to that slide. So I'm not Jenna Fisher. I just want to let you set, the, set it straight. When I let my husband know that night, he did his whole Photoshop wizarding thing. He's in the back and um, and he came up with, he said, we are not, next slide. Let's see, we'll get there. I'm not Dunder Mifflin, but I am spiritual direction. <laughs> and I lead small groups. And so the next one after that, and I don't go to the office, but I am focused on the presence. So we thank you, Andrew, for that. <laughs> Mm. So I was ordained as a priest back in 2003, and my husband and I led a church on the coast of uh, Lake Michigan for 10 years, and now I get to spend almost all my time as a writer and spiritual director, and it's an incredible privilege to sit with the hard and holy stories of God's beloveds. And sometimes, uh, and what I'm doing is I'm listening, I'm, uh, there's a gift of being able just to sit with suffering. There's very few people who can just sit with suffering and not need to say anything, but to just recognize this is hard, this is heavy. But I'm also, what I'm doing is I'm looking for the thread of gold in that person's life where the Lord has already been at work and we kind of pull it out little by little. And I I ask questions and they remind me of a story that happened when they were a child and then maybe a story later of how they recognized the goodness of God in an area of their life. So we pull out that string of gold, but every once in a while, they remember a moment where the Lord spoke identity into their lives. And we hold that story, and it's like a gold brick has fallen in our laps, and we're silent. We can't help but be silent in awe because God has been at work. We take off our shoes, we linger, we pray that the word the Lord is speaking at that moment and remembering and bringing it up and out will transform us a little bit more into um, the image of God. And they can take off the shroud of ego and let the experience of being a child of God, treasured, cherished, and pursued, become a part of their very souls. So I wonder if we can go to the slide from the James Bryan Smith Quote. He said, all of his theology can be put into these 
um, phrases or what he teaches. I think not all of theology, but what he teaches and his focus on spiritual formation can be put into these sentences. And I'm going to invite you to speak it with me. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. That kingdom is not in trouble and neither am I. So the transformation, transfiguration, which you just heard read by our deacon is the grand finale of the season of Epiphany. It's like we've been seeing fireworks all along and then all of a sudden, all this light, all this light, all this light. So we saw the worship of the Magi, the presentation in the temple, the baptism in the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, the words from Isaiah read from a scroll, Jesus appropriating prophecy on him saying on himself saying today the scripture has been fulfilled we saw that he was a profound teacher that he healed a demon possessed man and like mary we're treasuring each of these illuminations in our hearts i love that we get to begin our year in this way, saturated in one story after another of the glory of God, of the revelation of who it is we are following into this year. We're rooting and we're grounding in awe. We're relearning to turn, to gaze, to linger, to be amazed by the revelation of Jesus. And don't we need this this year? More than ever, we need this. It's as if the writers of the Gospels knew how much the early church needed this set table, this potluck of sorts. It's as if the Gospel writers were saying, feast here. You're going to need this soon. We can't stand in hardship without a clear vision of our God. And in the midst of such tumultuous times, I know you're feeling it heavy too. Don't we need a fresh revelation of Jesus? We need to hear, dear ones, you're not alone. The God of the universe stands with you in the midst of your hurricane gales. And so this Sunday, friends, is a grand finale. It's a transfiguration, the final unveiling. And I'm going to give us a moment to check out this icon. So it's a couple uh, slides down. What's happening here? I love iconography because it gives us a chance to enter into the story in a different way. We see Christ enthroned. 
I mean, that's, that's how I see it anyways. It's like he's already on his throne. We see Moses, the great teacher, Elijah, the greatest prophet, and then I love these guys in the bottom. <laughs> I absolutely love them because I feel like them most of the time. They're overwhelmed, discombobulated, and some of the icons, their shoes are literally off, which I love. I mean, it's like the, the, their sandals are, are half off their feet. And I love that their hands are up like this. They're scratching their heads. They're like, what is happening here? They're trying to muse, trying to understand. So let's dive in. What is happening here? So in order to understand what's happening, we need to follow the clues of the first three words because they're on purpose. These seemingly throwaway words are actually arrows to understand what this scripture is, and we'll follow the clues. It starts eight days later. Eight days later. So what we do is we, um, we go back and we try to figure out what happened eight days ago. And when we flip back, we see that Jesus asked this seemingly innocuous question, who do the crowd say that I am? It doesn't seem very important. A throwaway question. And they answer with a pocket of things they've heard from the multitudes. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Some say the prophets of long ago have come back. And it's a fact question, isn't it? It's a left brain question. What are you hearing? And I love how Jesus drills down from a surface question to the very next question, which is a heart question, a weighty question. And it falls through the millennia into our lap like a gold brick. And we turn it over our hands and we ask ourselves the same question. Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Turn that over in your hearts for a moment. What about you? Who do you say? that I am. So questions are the way we slowly open up a book on someone's life, isn't it? They're the way in. Think about your first date. After you get over the beginning awkwardness, you finger your coffee cup, start playing with a cardboard sleeve with your thumb, and then you ask questions. Tell me a little about you. What do you do in your off time? What makes you come alive? And as you can probably tell, I haven't had to dive into the dating scene for over 26 years. I married my high school sweetheart, and our first date was prom. We fell in love, and then we switched dates, and Andrew 
So he went with who I was supposed to go with and vice versa. And he switched out his lavender cummerbund for an ivory cummerbund. And we were in a fog of joy all night. He was kind and brilliant, and we became best friends. We are good at asking each other questions. Even in a marriage, questions become a bid for intimacy, for connection. The simple ones like, how was your day? And the deeper ones, how have you been feeling lately? What makes you feel loved? Questions are the pathway to connection, to being known. Relationships, all relationships, especially our relationship with the Lord, are filled with good questions. So Jesus was a profound question answer, and he asked over a hundred of them. And some of them, just like this question we're looking at today, fall in our lap and make us look at them, make us sit with them, make us turn them around, make us reflect. So here's a couple of them. Do you want to be well? Do you love me? What do you want me to do for you? What would it be like if we sat with those questions every day? Even this one, who do you say that I am? And throughout the next chapter, there's this low reveal of who Jesus is. Like a photograph in a dark room, like a priceless fresco that's been covered in layers of time and is being uncovered one swipe at a time, a slow uncovering. We turn our gaze to this messy mix of disciples standing before Jesus, turning over this weighty question, and none of them know exactly what's standing before them. A prophet, Elijah, a couple of them say, and then Peter drops this word in the middle of the room. Are you ready? The Christ, the Messiah. And I know that most of you have been through years of Sunday school. You know that the Messiah means Israel's deliverer, a figure that's been prophesied about for hundreds of years. They've been longing for the Messiah. They light candles for him, set out a chair for him. They write songs for him. But they believed they knew how that Messiah would manifest as a political figure, someone to save them from the Romans, someone who would overthrow their oppressors. But they could not have imagined what the Trinity had in mind. And then after this revelation, Jesus kind of hushes them and says, keep quiet. 
And into their already blown minds, he uses the word son of man. And these folks, the disciples, already had a religious knowledge, a scriptural knowledge that all he had to do was drop one sentence and all of a sudden they had a wealth of knowledge that they heard from that one sentence. So I want to tell you, I want to read to you what they were hearing. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 says this about the son of man. He says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed, never be shaken. So can we stand for a minute with this passage? In the midst of a tumultuous world turned upside down, Ukraine under siege, our bodies still under siege with a pandemic. And admit, we yearn for the coming. We yearn for the coming of our Jesus, the second coming. Then we can begin to touch how the disciples were feeling after a hundred years of oppression. Jesus was quick to say, you know that part about the Messiah taking power right away? Let's talk about that. Unfortunately, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Nothing like a kick in the gut. The wind knocked out of you. Our Messiah, the Messiah we've been waiting for is going to be killed. And what's that word? Resurrected? I don't even think the disciples had categories for this. Can you imagine them turning and scratching their heads? Was Jesus speaking in riddles again? How are we supposed to understand this? And it's at this moment, Jesus sets it down for a whole week. That they talk about it as they go along the way. As they go from town to town, as they mull it all over. Maybe they even ask Jesus questions. And then today's gospel is how he answered. The transfiguration is how he answers the question about his identity. He takes James, John, and Peter on a hike up a mountain, and maybe it was late at night or super, super early in morning. We know that Jesus liked to pray really early in the morning. All we know is that as Jesus prayed, the disciples figured, ah, perfect time for a nap. They laid down, balled up their coats for a pillow, crossed their ankles, and went to sleep. When they woke up, they woke up to this. 
Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Jesus, cloak of ordinary, had been removed and his true self was on full display. Glorious, shining, brilliant. The light of the world. Taking his place as the teacher of the most famous teachers. They fall silent in awe. At least that's what James and John do. I love what your worship booklet says about silence. It says, silence is alive. I know you've read it too. I love this. Silence is alive. Pause. Rest in God's presence. Listen for his voice. In spiritual direction, we say, let silence do the heavy lifting. One of my favorite hymns is, let all mortal flesh fall silent. And so this is what they did. Sometimes silence is all we have. There's nothing more to add. We are witnessing heaven descended, the kingdom of God touching earth. But Peter's uncomfortable with silence, and sometimes we are too. He's desperate to be helpful. And don't we understand that? But the final revelation of Jesus comes in a cloud with the Father's voice. Remember the cloud that led Israelites through the desert? Do you remember the cloud that fell on the tabernacle? The cloud which when it entered the temple, what happened? The priests fell on the ground. It was so heavy. The kabod glory of God is a heavy glory. The cloud is named Shekinah, and it represents the full presence of God, unadulterated presence of God. And if the disciples were not on their faces before, they surely are now. And the Father's voice speaks, This is my Son, whom I love, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And the Father's words fall heavy on our hearts. Listen to him. And so here at the end of the story, the transfiguration, we find Jesus has allowed the Father to have the last word. He's allowed the Father to answer the question from eight days before, who am I? 
We have a saying in spiritual direction, if a person hears a word of advice from another person, then it may or may not be helpful. It will only have so much power. But if they wrestle for a word themselves, it will have much more weight. But if they hear a word from the Lord, then that's gold. So if I can make a small shift in closing, it's this. We often look outside of the cloud of God's presence for our identity. We try to gather power, provision, prestige to clothe ourselves with glory. We search as if in a mirror for our identity in other people's eyes. We gather love and belonging around us as if it will keep us warm and display our worth. We try to work, work, work for love, each other's love and God's love. Work, work, work for prestige. It's the American disease. But it's all a smoke screen, a covering of ashes, layers and layers of striving. There's a weight of glory underneath the layers of ashes, which can only be unveiled by the word of the Lord. Our true identity has been covered with the mess and muck of our searching elsewhere. We need our Father to take a cloth and slowly unveil our true identity. Our identity as adopted children of God. I wish I had a lot more time in this. Found and forgiven. This is my son. He says, this is my daughter. My beloved, my treasure, my chosen. He has the only, he is the only one whose word has enough power to wipe the layers of silt. In closing, I wonder if you would join me in speaking this quote by James Bryan Smith. One more time. This is who we are. This is where we live. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. That kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. Amen.